From the Center for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy, this is The Steady Stater, a podcast dedicated to discussing limits to growth in the steady state economy. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brian Check, and our guest today is Leon Kalankowitz. Leon is what we might call an all-purpose ecologist. He has a BS in forestry and wildlife management from Virginia Tech and an MS in natural resources management and environmental planning from the University of British Columbia. At the UBC, his advisor and mentor was Bill Reese, who many of our listeners know as the co-developer, along with Matisse Wackernagel, of the ecological footprint concept. Leon's career as an environmental scientist and planner spans three countries, more than 40 states, and almost 40 years. In addition to scores of environmental impact assessments, Conducted as a consultant to federal agencies, Leon has written extensively about human population growth and its environmental impacts, especially on biodiversity. Leon Kalankowitz, welcome to the Steady Stater. Thanks very much, Brian. Thanks for having me. Okay, Leon, I'd like to divide this interview into three main parts. First, let's cover some facts and figures about population growth. Next, we'll talk about some policies that might help towards stabilizing population. Of course, wherever there's policy, there's politics, and we can touch on that too for a few minutes at the end. So let's start with a few simple facts. What is the population? How many people do we have, let's say, in the USA and in the world? Well, today in uh, 2021, Brian, we have about 330 million people in the United States and almost 8 billion globally. That's about 7.8 or 7.9 billion right now, depending on the demographic source you use. All right. Well, let's hone in on the USA for a minute. We often hear in the news that the U.S. population isn't growing fast enough. Exactly how fast is it growing? In the first decade of this new millennium, we actually grew by 33 million, the highest single decade of growth since the Census Bureau started collecting data in 1790, even higher than the fabled uh, baby boom decade of the 1950s. And in this past decade that we've just finished, uh, 2010 to 20. 20, we grew by about 20 million. All right. Well, now on these uh, population facts and figures, can you tell us, tell us about doubling time? How do we calculate it? And what does that tell us for when we might have 650 million people relying on U.S. infrastructure? Yeah, right now, again, we're at about 330 million in the United States and growing at somewhat less than 1% annually. There's a very when you're talking about exponential population growth, there's a very convenient rule called the rule of 70, where if you divide 70 by the percent annual percentage increase, you will get the doubling time. So if you're at 1% a year uh, into, into 70, that would be a doubling time of 70 years. If you are uh, growing at 2% a year or even 3% a year, which a lot of places in the world still are, then uh, at 2% a year, it would be a doubling time of 35 years and a quadrupling time of 35 years. Percent is just over 20 years doubling time. So at less than 1% a year now, which doesn't sound like much, but still think of it 
uh, more accurately, I think, in terms of the 20 to 30 million new Americans per decade. Uh, at that rate of increase, we would hit uh, 600 million plus uh, that you cited sometime towards the end of this century. I see. Well, you're right. It does. Uh, it leaves a, a bigger impression and a more important impression when we think in terms of the actual millions and not just exponents and percentage rates. Well, uh, what's really driving U.S. population growth then? Is it primarily birth rates or immigration? At, at different times in our history, Brian, it's been, been uh, different sources. In the 1950s that I've already mentioned, the baby boom era, when the average woman had nearly four children, including my own mother who had five, uh, it was primarily the birth rate. That was responsible for 90% or more of U.S. population growth back 60, 70 years ago in the 1950s. However, now in 2021, it is uh, almost exclusively immigration. Project and, and, uh, and by that I'm talking not about immigrants who are already here, but prospective future immigrants. The, the, the Pew Research Center has uh, projected that by the year 2065, new immigration, that is future immigration, will account for on the order of 90% of the projected growth of more than 100 million additional Americans by, by those years. Well, let's, uh, let's think for a few moments about the global population. Right now it sits around uh, 7.8 billion, right? That's right. And uh, do, we have, do we have some countries on Earth at least where population has stabilized? Yeah, we have a number of uh, uh, countries, dozens and dozens of them that are approaching stabilization and others that have actually gone beyond that and have populations that are declining from year to year. Germany and Japan are two leading cases in point, two highly developed countries that year on year actually have smaller populations than they did the previous year because for many decades they have maintained total fertility rates, the average number of children a woman bears through her reproductive years of well under the replacement level of 2.1. They've been in the vicinity of 1.5 children live births per female or even less. Case mm -hmm. of Japan. Evidently, the, the current global growth rate is 1.1%. But what about the trend in that global rate itself? Is the rate declining at this time, or is it kind of tapered off its decline at 1.1%? What matters in ecological terms is not rates and percentages, but actual increments actual absolute numbers of people, the human population on planet Earth in this uh, limited biosphere is still growing on the order of 80 million plus per year. That is, at the end of every year, we have more than 80 million more human beings to provide resources to and to generate mm. waste than we did the year previously. And that hasn't improved in decades because the base to which that percentage has applied has grown so rapidly. So yes, the percentage increase rate has come down, but since the population base to which that rate is applied has grown so enormous, enormously, the actual number of people being added globally is, has, for the last decade or two, has actually gone up over what it was, trending downward, but it started to move up again. 
You know, Leon, last week I wrote an article for the Steady State Herald and did a, a few quick calculations. Uh, if global population grew at a rate of just 1%, according to this uh, population projector that I found online, we'd have about 163 trillion people on Earth by this time next century, 3021 in other words. That means everybody would have less than a square meter to themselves. They better hope there's no shortage of deodorant. <laughs> Seriously, though, you know, when we think of these kinds of ridiculous scenarios, ridiculous yet mathematically undeniable, we have to wonder why we don't have any kind of population planning in the works. Or do we? Well, the, I, I wouldn't say that we don't have any population planning. Uh, there, since World War II, certainly, there have been major efforts supported by international NGOs, uh, governments around the world and the United Nations in the form of the United Nations or the UN Population Fund, United Nations Population Division, to make population an issue and try and impress especially developing nations that it will be a lot easier to develop if there are fewer mouths to feed. Hmm. And a lot of them, especially in Asia, but also Latin America, took those messages to heart and indeed, you find that nowadays, most of Asia, certainly East Asia, has sub-replacement level fertility. As I mentioned, Japan already has smaller populations from year to year. And even Latin America has a total, total fertility rate applied across the uh, entire continent, from Mexico on south, has a total fertility rate that is closing in on replacement level fertility of 2.1 children per female. So major hmm. progress has been made, but as I say, we're still growing by 80 million or more a year, and yet if that progress hadn't been made, Brian, we would be right now growing in the hundreds of millions per year. Yeah, I think our uh I think what we've what we've done is we found ourselves into the next part of the interview where we're focused a little more on population policy. So Leon, I understand you've had a lot of experience with NEPA the National Environmental Policy Act. In fact, you've been, a, you've been a bit of a policy entrepreneur there, trying to get population growth scrutinized through the lens of NEPA. Can you tell us about your experience with that? Well, I'm certainly not a pioneer in that area, uh, Brian. If you look at the NEPA statute itself, signed into law on January 1st, 1970, the National Environmental Policy Act of 1969, in Title I, the very first section of NEPA, it refers to the profound impacts of human population growth on the environment of the United States. So it was recognized by the very legislators who, who uh, crafted NEPA and signed it into law. Mm. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that it, it became an overriding consideration. However, I can say, as one who has done, managed, written a number of uh, environmental impact statements under, under NEPA, if you have a project like a proposed coal-fired power plant or a proposed water supply dam and reservoir, right in the very introductory sections of that EIS or that EA, Environmental Assessment, you have to discuss the so-called purpose and need. What are the factors driving the demand for more electricity, the demand for more water? And invariably, as one who is prepared a lot of these documents, I can tell you that population is always one of the driving factors, population growth, that is, in 
a given region or state uh, is always one of the main factors, if not the main factor. I see. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but you know what? We have to take a short non-commercial break now, and uh, we'll let Rick Tibbetts give us a message here. Hi there. We hope you're enjoying the show. At Cassie, we work hard every day to produce substantive information on the steady state economy, and we want to make sure that you, our wonderful supporters, stay up to date with all of our newest content. That's why we encourage you to sign up for our email list. By becoming a Cassie subscriber, you will receive two weekly emails notifying you when we publish a new episode of the Steady Stater podcast and a new article in our weekly blog, The Steady State Herald. That's it. No scams, no marketing, and no solicitations. Just high-quality Cassie content sent every week to your inbox. You can sign up for free by going to our website, steadystate.org, panning over to the Join button, and clicking Join Our Email List in the drop-down menu. Now, back to the show. You know, you, we talked about NEPA a little bit, and uh, I, actually I wanted to discuss the history of population policy in the U.S. just a little more. What about the, uh, even before that, was it the Rockefeller Commission? What was that all about? President Nixon started this bipartisan commission called the Commission on Population Growth and the American Future, headed up by John D. Rockefeller, uh, of the hmm. you know, Rockefeller family name. There were Democrats and Republicans and academics and environmentalists on this. Uh, uh, had 20 or 30 different men, members and, and a lot of experts working for them. And they issued their report in 1972. And there was a famous letter written by John D. Rockefeller to the effect that no purpose would be served by continuing population growth in the United States and the nation would be well served and, and, and better able to meet its environmental aspirations if it moved expeditious, expeditiously towards population stabilization. President Nixon, as a result of, uh, I think, the elections coming up in 1972, and his concern about maintaining the Catholic vote, because they had some recommendations in there on liberalizing access to abortion, one of the many controversial issues uh, related to population one way or another. So he distanced himself from the conclusions, findings, and recommendations of the very commission that he himself had established. Hmm. Well, as I recall, and fast-forwarding now a few decades, Bill Clinton established a President's Council on Sustainable Development. Did that council deal explicitly with population growth? Yes, it did, Brian. Um, they actually had a task force within the larger commission called the Population and Consumption Task Force. They were looking at the two sides of the coin of human impacts, per capita consumption levels, and population size. When you multiply those two together, you get aggregate environmental impact. So this task force looked at that, looked at the demographic forces driving population growth in the United States. They concluded a couple of important things from our uh, perspective here. One, that the United States had to stabilize its population. Population stabilization or a cessation of population growth was a sine qua non of environmental sustainability. If you didn't stabilize U.S. population, those sustainability goals would recede ever further away and we would be unlikely to attain them. 
And then two, they said, we recognize that immigration is a very sensitive issue and it has to be treated sensitively, but the United States has to reduce immigration levels if it's going to have any hope of stabilizing its population in the foreseeable future and you know, have some chance of uh, achieving environmental sustainability. Hmm. One of the one of my uh, worst favorite rhetorical lines uh, came from that time. It was, "There is no conflict between growing the economy and protecting the environment. When the economy grows, as a matter of population times the per capita consumption." So, let's talk for a few minutes about population politics. Tell us your uh, your assessment of the political landscape here, in particular. What are some of the groups that oppose population planning and policy? Let, let's, let's, uh, let's start with the environmental groups. As I think I mentioned earlier, at the time of the first Earth Day, about 50 years ago, half a century ago, the environmental community was virtually unanimous that U.S. population growth was a very serious environmental issue. The Sierra Club, one of the leading environmental activist organizations in the country, was outspoken that the U.S. had to first stabilize its population and then help the rest of the world stabilize the global population so as to have a chance at sustainability and a high quality of life and an environmental preservation for everybody. And they called for stabilizing U.S. population, that is stopping population growth by 1990, 20 years into the future, right? And yet by 1990 or in the 1990s, the Sierra Club, most other uh, virtually every other environmental organization abandoned that as a goal. We believe, a lot of us who have been involved with this issue for a long time, we believe for a lot of reasons. The backlash had set in over many, many issues, as I mentioned earlier, the abortion issue, people like uh, Julian Simon and uh, growth fetishists hmm. at the Cato Institute who believed that human ingenuity, the human brain was the ultimate resource would always find ways around any problems posed by an additional human burden or load on the planet. That was all part of that backlash. But the primary issue in the United States, certainly, was rising immigration rates and an increasing number of immigrants in the country. And it, it grew into, as I've already mentioned, the main cause of unending, unending U.S. population growth with no end in sight. And yet the mm. very same environmental groups that had been so concerned about overpopulation as long as it was from domestic sources, births over deaths, or the birth rate, right, began to get ever quieter about this. And this was solidified in the mid-1990s when two of the leading groups, Sierra Club, as I've already mentioned, which had a very active population committee, and the original uh, population organization in the country called Zero Population Group, or ZPG, Inc., uh, both of them explicitly abandoned the goal of stabilizing U.S. population because we, we believe of the immigration component making it increasingly difficult to discuss honestly and in a civil manner. You know, we at Cassie, we tried very hard to get the Sierra Club to take a position on the conflict between GDP growth and environmental protection. And, and yeah, a similar thing happened on that issue. Uh, it made it just about up to their, sort of their committee level, if you will. And then it, it disappeared. It's like it, it never existed. And so 
it's a very yeah, uh, yeah. convoluted uh, political system, I'm afraid, at some of these huge environmental NGOs. I do want to yeah. say one thing, though, about the, the immigration thing. I want to clarify, actually, for our listeners at the Steady Stater, because we, you know, at Cassie, we've long taken the position that, yes, we need to tighten borders in places like the USA, but, and there, this is a big but, but only when the USA also announces that we're, we're moving away from that unsustainable obsession with GDP growth and we're moving toward the goal now of a steady state economy, which, right. as you know, requires a stabilized population and per capita production and consumption of goods and services. Right. Then, then it makes it viable politically, as well as much, much more ethical, of course, to say, all right, because we're now moving toward this focus on sustainability, we have to gradually, not just suddenly, not draconianly, but gradually and surely close down the borders until our uh, population stabilizes. But at the same time, we're going to assist the poverty-stricken countries, especially where the, uh, the push for emigration is coming from, and to help them in their own backyards, because we understand that uh, they're naturally. We, if we were in the if we were in those boots, we would also want to come to the USA and other countries where there's just uh, you know maybe some greener grass on the side of the fence. Well, I think uh, I, I want to wrap things up here pretty soon now, Leon. And and uh, is there any good news to report on on the population front that you can think of? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I mentioned a bit of it before, Brian, and that is that uh, if you look at um, the condition of the, the world's women globally, it has changed so radically over the last half century or century. And the total fertility rate, the TFR, of women around the world is about half now what it was, uh, say, at the time of the first Earth Day in 1970. I, uh, I, I was a Peace Corps volunteer for three years in the late 1980s in Honduras. And when I went in Central America, one of those countries that is sending a lot of migrants to the United States, uh, I have seen myself how attitudes towards uh, empowerment of women, education, economic opportunities, uh, uh, reproductive health, and et cetera, has changed. And that, that's very much good news from that region and we see the same thing in Asia and parts of uh, West Asia, et cetera. So mm. there's some room for optimism. And we even find in this country people discussing, young people, millennials and the like, discussing whether or not it's a good idea to be bringing children into a world with such an uncertain future as a result of climate change and other potential calamities. Mm -hmm. So the issue hasn't gone away entirely. But on the other hand, we're still adding 80 million a year. And that's, that isn't good news. Right. Well, well, thank you so much, Leon. Thanks for all your hard work in this political gauntlet of population politics and policy. Keep up the good work. You too, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that about wraps her up. We've been talking with Leon Kalankiewicz, 
the all-purpose ecologist who found himself pushing for population policies in the USA. He's been a real policy entrepreneur, especially with his efforts to get further incorporated population concerns in the NEPA process. I think we can all take some inspiration and motivation from these efforts, put on our thinking caps, and make our way tactfully, yet truthfully and intrepidly through the political minefield of population stabilization. I'm Brian Check, and you've been listening to the Steady Stater Podcast. See you next time.